Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. In that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. I will gather those who grieve about the appointed feast. They came from you, O Zion. The reproach of exile is a burden on them. Behold, I am going to deal at that time with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts, and I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in, even the time when I gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord. It's living. It's active. And I just pray that your word will do its work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Please uh, take a seat. For the Christian... If we lose focus of God's character, sovereignty, reign, and future plans, life can be very discouraging. When you look at all around you, you see the wicked prospering. You see people who are once considered believers now denying the faith, now even attacking the faith. More persecution, more false teachings are arising. True biblical Christians seems like they're scarce. Labors for ministries are few. Godliness is rare. Evil is prevailing. Is there hope? My brothers and sisters, let us not lose hope. Let us not grow weary of doing good despite the heavy opposition and persecution we as believers may face. We know that we win in the end. Today, I want us to time travel into the future. I want us to focus on the plans of God, the plans he has for us, and the magnificent, triumphant, joyful jubilance we will have with him. I want to encourage you today and hopefully get you excited a bit. Now, hopefully put some spark into you a little bit. The title for this sermon is called The Great Jubilation. We are going to look at three reasons to rejoice and look forward to the return and the reign of Christ so that we will be encouraged and know that we have hope and a glorious future in and with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Like most minor prophets, we do not know much about Zephaniah. The time he preached this message was during the beginning of King Josiah's reign. This was about a decade or so before he actually had his reformations in the kingdom. Zephaniah was actually a contemporary of prophet Jeremiah. So his message is pretty much the same. It's just a lot smaller. In chapter 1 of Zephaniah, he starts off going hard on Judah due to their rebellion and their wickedness. He says that God will wipe away everyone and everything off the face of the earth. He speaks of the day of the Lord, and he describes it as a day of God's wrath, a day of trouble, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of distress, desolation. He then proclaims judgment upon all the nations of the earth, not just Jerusalem. And yet in chapter 2, he calls them all to repentance. He's giving them a chance because we know if you don't repent, what awaits you? God's wrath. And then we we see here in chapter 3 where we see that there is hope. For Jews and Gentiles who are believers. See, unbelievers, they, they will face consequences for their disobedience. They will experience the, what's called the great tribulation. But saints in Christ, we have a future where we will experience the great jubilation. 
Let's look at the first reason why we are to rejoice in this glorious future of Christ's reign and return, because it will be a time of redemption. We see that in verses 14 to 16. It's a time of redemption, or you could call it a time of salvation. Zephaniah tells his contemporaries to shout for joy, shout in triumph, rejoice, exult with all your heart. Notice how Zephaniah refers to his audience as daughter of Zion. Israel, daughter of Jerusalem, the nation of Israel is referred to as daughter many times in the Old Testament to show that they have a loving father, but also how a father views his daughter. She's beautiful, right? Is Israel, Jerusalem, Zion is is this beautiful, caring daughter of God. And although we are Gentiles, most of us, I don't know who here is a Jew or not, but regardless, if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a Gentile, we're still partakers of some of the blessings, That is promised to Abraham. Remember, the Israelites were to be a light to all the nations. We're grafted into that. Now, we don't replace Israel now. Okay, God still has plans for the nation of Israel. But even as a church, we are to receive these blessings. And we kind of see that in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9 to 10. That God will have people from all over the world call on the name of the Lord. He will have worshipers beyond the rivers of Ethiopia or Cush or Africa. That's talking about those of African descent who will come to Christ, but it, could, it doesn't just extend to African people. It extends to all non-Jews, Gentiles. Everybody nowadays wants to be an Israelite. Okay? Everybody wants to be you know, Jewish, Puerto Ricans, Wakandans, Penguins. Everybody wants to be Jewish. But the most Jewish thing you could do is accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. See, you could, you could speak Hebrew. You could be an actual ethnic Israelite. You were born in, in, in Israel. You know what tribe you're from and everything. But if you reject the Christ, the Messiah, you still going to hell. Jesus taught that to the Pharisees. What do you call him? A son of Satan. Because they rejected Christ as fully God, fully man, the Savior. So nowadays people have this so ethnic-centric um, ideology in their head. But God is calling specifically here Israel, and this applies to us as well, to be jubilant, be excited, be joyful, shout for joy. Or, or a, better, a better translation, actually, for shout the second time when it says shout in triumph, it's to sing, sing to God. Praise God. Why must we rejoice? Why, was, why, why must we sing? Even the New Testament says rejoice always, right? We are to sing spiritual songs and, and hymns. Why must we rejoice? Why must we sing? Here's the first reason why we, we must sing and rejoice. Verse 15, the first part, the Lord has taken away his judgments against you. In other words, God has forgiven your sins. Charges are dropped. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. God rescued us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin, of of sins. Now that is something to amen about. That is something to shout about. That is something to sing about and rejoice about. We have salvation. But that's not good enough for many people because we're caught up in the worldly things. We want the prosperity. We want the clout and things like that. But this is the greatest need that we need, right? Justification is a gift. We have been purchased by his blood. We are redeemed. Us brothers and sisters, we have to be grateful people. We have to be joyful people. We have to be thankful people. Because we got what everybody needs, and that's Jesus Christ. That's eternal life. That's salvation. Reason number two, why should we rejoice? Why must we sing? Yahweh will defeat all opposition. Verse 15, he has cleared away your 
enemies. Now remember, this is, take, this is talking future. God will, will clear away those who oppose him and his people. We may experience reproach and humiliation in this day and age for our faith, but God will deal with that. Part of the peace and prosperity we receive in the future kingdom is that we will have no enemies. See, as believers, we are redeemed already in the sense to where we are liberated from the enslaving curse of the law. But we will fully be redeemed, or you can say, you know, even physically redeemed to where we will not have any opposition. We will have full protection. How is that? Well, let's continue reading. Verse 15. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. The greatest desire for all of us Christians is to see him, to be with Christ. And yes, I know he's here now. He's he's present right now, invisibly. But we're going to get to see him physically one day. And he is going to be in our midst, protecting us from any harm. See, a lot, of, a lot of people, they get starstruck over celebrities and stuff. They want to take pictures with them. They want to chase them. They want to stalk them. They want to be, be like them and all types of things like that. But what will we do when we see Christ? Oh, man, what a wonderful thing to think about, right? See, the world isn't going to get better because of certain political parties reigning or a leader is reigning or some movement or, you know, everybody buys an electric car and things like that or everyone goes to college, everyone has a place and stay. Those are all great things and things like that. But no utopian, idealistic world is going to exist. We need Christ to return and come back. How often do we say to ourselves, come Lord Jesus, when things are going on? God will be protecting us. And because of that, we don't have to fear in the future. We will fear disaster no more. And let's continue reading verse 15. You will fear disaster no more. Since Yahweh will be in our midst, the word disaster is a broad term. It could mean evil, calamity, anything bad pretty much. There is a time where we don't have to worry about mass shootings. There is a time where we don't have to worry about kidnappings. There is a time where we won't have to worry about you know, a pandemic or a lot of sicknesses and diseases and things like that. Because Jesus, our king, will reign in our midst. Verse 16, in that day it will be said to Jerusalem, do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. Jerusalem will not be afraid. They are not to allow their hands fall limp. We shouldn't show an expression of outer discouragement because we have hope. And we have to remember that Zephaniah, he was speaking to the Israelites. that They, they were on their way to captivity because of their disobedience. But Zephaniah is saying, look. You're going to have to suffer the consequences of your sin. Repent. You're still going to have to suffer and go to exile. But know that there's still hope. See, I don't know what you're going through right now. Everybody's going through something. All right? Maybe you're having a time of comfort. Sometimes that happens, right? Where things just going well, triumphing. You know, you, you, you come across all green lights when you're driving, you know? But here's the thing. We always have to focus on Christ and know that, you know, it gets much better than what we're going through right now. All right? We can't be encouraged. We have to be encouraged. We have to be jubilant. We can't let our hands fall limp. What does it look like to be limp? No, just <laughs> like an ER on Winnie the Pooh, okay? We can't be like that, okay? Uh, hands are to symbolize strength. In Hebrew, it symbolizes strength, duty, service. And when your hands are limp, it's not inactive. But what is Zephaniah saying? What is God saying? Put them hands up. And he's not talking about putting a gun to you. He's saying, look, you better use those hands to give praise or give service. Whatever you do is for my glory. That's what God is saying right there. He's trying to encourage these brothers right here. See, life doesn't go as planned, but we have to be strong, not in our own strength, but in the Lord. How did black Christians back in slavery, how did they withstand and endure those hardships? 
How, how, how did black Christians during the Jim Crow era persevere and endure racism and those hardships? And they still had successful marriages and successful families were able to work because they understood their identity in Christ. They were strong in the Lord and they had hope. That is what we need now. See, a lot of us, we, we, we talk about, you know, youngsters, they need some old school love. They need some like old school loving because, you know, they break up easy. They divorce easy, things like that. But first things we need to have, too, we need some of that old school faith. That faith stands of old where they persevere and withstand and focus on Christ. We don't have that. We get fickle. We get soft. We give up. But Zephaniah, he's encouraging the Israelites, hey, don't lose hope. Be encouraged. Life is hard. You're going to go through it, but you have hope. You need to have joy, and it's not in your circumstance. It's who God is and his promises. One of the things we meditate on, we have to meditate on that as well. That's something pure and true and, and worthy of praise, right? See, sometimes, here's another thing. Speaking of singing, right? Now, when you think about the, you know, black Christians back in the day, whether it's through slavery or whether it's through Jim Crow era, how, how else did they withstand it? They sang. That's what they did. Shout for joy. Sing in triumph. See, sometimes we have to sing sometimes. See, that's like an overlooked, I'll call it a spiritual discipline, to sing, right? Sometimes we got to pull a hymnal out and sing, great is thy faithfulness. It is well with my soul. Amazing grace. A mighty fortress is our God. All these hymns. Sometimes we got to pull out a Negro spiritual hymnal. You want to sing sweet, swing low, sweet chariot? You want to sing weight? All those things. Sometimes the lyrics will overwhelm you. Sometimes you got to put on some Hezekiah Walker and John P. Key and, and just think about the songs. I was down. You know, you got to sing. And you probably can't sing for Jack. But when you're on your way to work and your commute, you start crying because you have tears of joy because you think about how good God is and what he saved you from. Sometimes the spirit of God does that. Sometimes you're at the gym doing deadlifts and you can't even finish your set. Because you think that you had some Kirk Franklin and Fred Hammond on. You know, that's like the Tupac, the biggie of gospel back in the 90s. It was hidden, you know. But you think about the lyrics and stuff, and you just overwhelm you, and you start crying. And you think about how good God is, and then some muscle-haired brother come up to you. Like, hey, brother, you okay? So you crying like, yes, I'm good. I'm rejoicing in the Lord. And that's how you evangelize. Say, God's been good to me. Do you know who Jesus Christ is? I know you could bench 550, but do you know Christ? Are you strong in the Lord? Music is uplifting. It's an over, you know, it's an overlooked discipline that we need to have as believers. And we're gonna be singing for eternity. You know, that's a wonderful thing, right? So we need to be singing now for the glory of God. And in this life, we may suffer a hardship, persecution. That, that's a promise scripture makes. But even in that, we can still rejoice and have hope because of the glorious future and reign of Christ, which we will partake in. It's a time of redemption of his people, but also a time of retribution of his enemies. That's the second point. A time of retribution is the reason why we should rejoice in the future. Or you could call it a time of divine justice, a, a, a time of divine reparation, a time of vengeance. The presence of Yahweh, verse 17, will be in our midst. Once again, Zephaniah is emphasizing that. The Lord your God is in your midst, okay? That's the reason why life is going to be better, because Christ is going to be physically reigning. But he's not just going to be reigning. He's going to be fighting, because what does it say? The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He is going to be a defender, an avenger of his people when he returns. A champion, a hero. Christ is coming back with a sword. And he's going to be slaying hundreds, thousands, maybe even millions. It's going to be a massacre. See, his first coming, he shed his blood. 
but the second coming, he's going to shed blood towards his opposition, towards his enemies. But on the contrary, we see, too, during this time of retribution, God will comfort his people. He will soothe his people. Let's continue reading verse 17. He will exult over you with joy. God will be elated over his people, ecstatic, euphoric, excited. What delights God? You do. If you're a believer in Christ, you're a delight to him. God's people delights him. And I want to remind you, brother and sister, you might be discouraged and you might think that, you know, man, God hates me. I keep messing up. I keep, you know, failing. Maybe you grew up in a legalistic environment where, you know, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, you know, God doesn't like you. He's not pleased with you. Maybe you view God how you view your parent who abandoned you or abused you and things like that. But we have to remember this. Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the encouragement. Now, God will discipline you now, okay, if you go out of line. Okay, he'll really lay it in and spank that beyond. Can I get a witness? I'm the only brother that sinned up in this piece, huh? You know, he will discipline. And that proves his delight in you. That proves his love towards you. Okay, so we have to remember that God delights in his people. Remember, as a church, we are the bride of Christ. All right? Jesus Christ loves us. And then then he continues on. He will be quiet in his love. Okay, this part of the verse is difficult to translate and make full sense of in English, but to keep from being too technical, um, it's likely that this has an idea that God will calm his people in love. He, he, will, he will cherish them, renew them, revive them, and even encourage them in his love. We will experience perfect peace. Okay, one of my favorite blessings of being a believer in Christ is that I have a sustaining joy and peace that I didn't have before I, I, I had Christ in my life. You know, and, and, and we got to give props to the Holy Spirit for that. You know, because he gives, he enables us to walk with, to have joy and peace. Doesn't mean we go through hard things, but he keeps us stable and, and firm, right? But imagine the day where he will be in our midst, and he is he was in our presence, protecting us. Imagine when Jesus is King in our midst. How much joy and peace we will have! Woo! Makes you feel like Ric Flair, right? That they should have a shout and sing for joy and look forward to the future. We have something to look forward to if you're a Christian. All right? Your future isn't all dark and gloomy and you don't know what's going to happen. No, we have hope. We know what's going to happen. It's about to go down, you know, because Christ, our Lord and Savior, we're going to be with him. He's going to be in our midst. He's going to be reigning. We're going to reign with him. Awesome. And then he will sing to and serenade his people. And let's continue reading verse 17. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. The ESV says he will exult over you with loud singing. And you think I'm loud. Imagine God singing. And everyone hears it. See, imagine, imagine God singing. Imagine Jesus Christ singing to you or shouting for joy and being excited for you, right? You know, imagine him singing. You know, I'll, I'll probably pass out like them ladies in the Michael Jackson concert. Remember, they just, oh, man, they be jacked up, boy. God's going to be singing. The biggest concert is yet to come, all right? You ever been sung to? Nah, nobody, probably when you was a baby, huh, you know, but something about, something about ladies, right? Something about when your, man, when your husband's singing to you, like, it don't matter if that brother can sing or not, he can't hit a note or nothing, okay? But you just like it, right? You enjoy it. I try and sing, I try and be an R&B brother, sing to my wife and things like that. I think I'm El DeBarge, you know, I think I'm Maxwell or something like that. But imagine God singing to you. There's something about singing, right? Especially that woman love. You know, that's why sisters, they want to, man, how come brothers don't have game anymore? Because brothers don't sing anymore. 
Everybody wants to be a rapper. All right, what, what you gonna be? No, no woman wants to hear you rap romantically. What you gonna be? LL Cool J, I need love. You got a Kango hat and work on a pants sleeve up. All right, but remember, God is going to be rejoicing over us. God is going to have joy. He's going to shout for joy. He's going to exult over us. And that's interesting because back in verse 14, remember, we are commanded to shout for joy, to sing in triumph, right, to exalt God. But here now we see that God is singing to us. All right. He, he, he's taking pleasure and enjoyment in his people. OK. I, and some commentators debate if God is literally going to be singing. I believe this is something God is going to be comforting us lyrically, musically. I, I believe that you know, um, based on the translation and things like that. But we also have to remember, too, Jerusalem is described as God's daughter. In this context, Jerusalem is described as God's daughter. This is a picture of God comforting and cherishing and holding and rocking his baby daughter and soothing her and comforting and singing to her. And when we think about the New Testament, the church, we're, we're, we're Christ's bride, okay? And the groom delights in his bride. And in the future, he will also encourage worship. Verse 18, I will gather those who grieve about the appointed feast. They came from you, O Zion. The reproach of exile is a burden on them. Now, this is another clunky verse. You ever try and translate something using Google Translate, you know, and try and get into English, and it comes out weird and, you know, it's not smooth? That's kind of like how this verse is. In fact, if you look at your Bible, there's probably a lot of italicized words in this verse. They added words to try to smooth out the translation um, in the English Bibles. Anyways, we see it transitions from third person to first person. God is saying, I will gather those who grieve about the appointed feast. God is speaking to his people in the context they're in. Remember, there are are Jews about to be exiled in their disobedience. They they will be shamed, but not in the future. God's people will be able to institute worship freely, exactly how God made it to be, how it's supposed to be celebrated. And they wouldn't be shamed. God and his people will rejoice together freely for us. As Gentile believers, when we worship God in the future, we don't have to worry about any opposition. We don't have to worry about any type of persecution or stumbling block that's going to cause us to not praise our Savior. And then verse 19, he will execute justice. He says, behold, I'm going to deal at that time with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts, and I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. God says, behold, pay attention, peep game. I am going to deal at that time with all the oppressors, all your foes, all your enemies, persecutors, those who take advantage, those who exploit. I'm going to deal with them. Kind of reminds you of, you know, vengeance is mine. You know, don't store wrath for yourself. Just know that God is going to deal with those who persecute his people. And then God says, I will save the lame and gather the outcasts, and I will turn their shame to praise and renown in all the earth. The lame and outcasts are usually people who are ostracized, people who are overlooked, people who are made fun of. But not so in his kingdom. Specifically, they are specifically mentioned in this, in this context as receiving honor and fame. During this time of retribution, justice will be served. The humble, the meek, and lowly in Christ will be exalted, but the wicked, arrogant, and oppressors of all who reject Christ will be punished. We are to rejoice in the future redemption and retribution of God, but also his restoration. Let's read verse 20. At that time, I will bring you in, even at the time when I gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This time of restoration, or you could call it a time of renewal, a time of restitution, a time of reestablishment, 
This will be a time where the Israelites will be brought back together in, in, in the promised land, be gathered up, and will come, come together as a source of blessing to the whole world. Remember, the Israelites were to be light to all the nations that draw them together. Now, this is going to happen. That plan is going to be executed. That was the original intention in the future millennial kingdom. We will see that. And God will exalt his people. Israel will be restored and will receive glory because Christ will be reigning there. If you are in Christ, you will receive honor, fame. And here's the thing. This isn't going to be some type of vain, celebrity, clout-chasing status that we may think that, you know, when we think of fame and celebrity. It's not going to be like that. People will know us, but when people see us, it's going to point to Christ. We're going to be known as servants of Christ. We're going to be known like, oh, that person right there is sanctified. That person is justified. That's a servant of Christ right there. And people should be thinking about that now in our lives, right? I mean, our reputation, people should know, oh, that, that woman's a Christian right there. You know, that, that man, that, he, that's a believer right there. But in the future kingdom, it will even be more apparent for the outside, for those who are unbelievers. And then it says God will give his fortunes to his people. He says, when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord, he, God's people will be prosperous. It will be time of triumph. It will be time of victory. It will be time of prosperity. See, people talk about prosperity now and things like, we're going to have prosperity in the future with Christ. We will experience prosperity and triumph in the future. You want joy? Christ's salvation, judgment, and glory need to be on your mind. You need to meditate on these truths. His redemption, his retribution, and his restoration is key to having hope and comfort in this life of sin, turmoil, and trial. Unfortunately, many believers think that eschatology, study of the last things, or the, the future ministry of Christ, is irrelevant for their sanctification. But it has a lot to do with sanctification. It helps you have a certain mindset. It helps you to have a certain comfort, a hope, a joy, and peace. And yes, there's different views of end times, of the nature of Christ's reign, the, when the rapture is coming, when he's coming back, all that thing. But the point is, do you know that he's coming, and you'll be with him, and reign with him, and he will be in your midst? That is something that we need to think about as believers. If you're an unbeliever here, I want to give you, I want to share that you have a chance to have redemption. You have a chance to be restored. You don't have to see the retribution of God or the the wrath of God. And we all deserve it. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But if you want to be part of this kingdom, if you want eternal life, You have to turn away from your sins and believe that Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man. He died on the cross for your sins, and he rose on the third day. You have to turn from your sins and believe in that. That's how you're made right in the eyes of God. It's not your works. It's not about what you did or or the good things you said or the good things you thought. It's about Jesus Christ. That's how you get into heaven. He is a way, truth, and a life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have hope through your son, Jesus Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. We thank you that you've redeemed us from our sins, but you also have a lot more as far as your plan of redemption to show us. You demonstrated your love on the cross by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, and you continue to shower and demonstrate your love to us daily. But even in the future, We are going to see your love demonstrated even more. Your love is for eternity, and that's a wonderful thing because you are love, God. 
And God, I pray for those who do not know you today. I pray that they turn away from their sins and get to experience the love that you have for them in a special way through your son, Jesus Christ. May today be the day of salvation for them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.